0: Stafford North has been at Oklahoma Christian, it says here, administrator, teacher in various roles since 1952. And that is significant because anybody know when the uh, Oklahoma Christian College uh, when it started? Anybody know the year that it started? Little quiz here. You can tell there are no alums in this group. A trick question. Yeah, we can't remember that far. That's the trick. 1950. 1950. So he has been with the college in a significant capacity since 1952. A lot of people think that's the only thing that he's done, but he's also uh, preached for uh, various uh, churches uh, in Oklahoma and Kansas, Florida. He said it was in, in Guthrie, right? You preached uh, for several years in, in Guthrie, Oklahoma. So he's been a pulpit minister. Uh, you know, he's uh, been executive vice president of the university. I, can, I could go on and on, uh, responsible certainly as the driving force for a lot of the pr- buildings and things that are there at the college at this time. Um, since 1998, 94, uh, he has resigned from the administrative side to devote himself uh, to the uh, Bible department, uh, is a professor there of uh, Bible. Uh, we know, those of us who have taken classes... Uh, we know his specialty, of course uh, daniel revelation i don 't know how many people have seen that own the own the series uh, He continues to uh, present that uh, uh, that series in, in various churches uh, even uh, to this day uh, it says here recently preached in Nigeria and brazil poland England, so many things to say. Um, Dr. North is married to Joanne, and uh, what a delight that she has uh, accompanied him tonight. She's sitting over there with uh, Lise. Uh, We've known them for a long time. Uh, their family as well, so it's um, a special uh, pleasure to see uh, Joanne here in Choctaw uh, tonight. It says they have four children, ten grandchildren. He still enjoys, it says, still enjoys playing golf and softball. I get the golf part, I'm not sure about the softball part. Oh, okay, he said it's over. Softball career has gone down the drain. Personally, I have had uh, Dr. North as a professor, Uh, studied under him in various classes. I've had him as a boss. He was my direct boss when I worked at Oklahoma Christian. He's been a mentor of mine, a partner. We've partnered in various projects that we've done uh, together. A very significant part of my instruction in Christ, my training as a minister uh, flows back to... uh, Uh, Brother Stafford, I can't say enough about him, uh, about him and his career, his ministry, his accomplishments, but I want to say one and underline one thing that I know from experience. In my own travels and preaching in various places, I can say that very few men in our brotherhood are trusted and respected by people at every point of the continuum. You know, when we talk about conservative, liberal, you know, we hate to do that, you know, but people have different opinions. I do not know an individual who is trusted and respected by so many different people of so many different opinions, and that is a testimony to his perseverance and the excellence of his teaching. So I am so pleased that he agreed to be our closing speaker for our summer series tonight. won't take any more time. Brother Stafford, it's all yours.
1: Well, it's great to be back with you here. I always enjoy coming out here and being with this fine congregation. Uh, to be with Dayton, my, my classmate of a few years ago, and uh, with uh, Mike, my uh, former student and colleague, and many others with whom I've had close association. I, I'm glad you have young men to lead the singing. I think that's great, and we need to be... Giving our young people ways to to develop in their skills in the church, and so I'm glad that you're doing that if you'll open your bibles we'll uh, we're going to begin our first verse will be in matthew chapter twenty eight and we're going to read several verses as we go along, so I hope you will be prepared to read along with me as we uh, read some of these verses. I was asked to speak on the topic what the church needs to hear. What the church needs. What is it that we want to be sure that we are communicating to the church. And by church I mean not just those who are older but younger as well. What do we need to be communicating to all aspects all ages of the church if if you were being asked what what are the things we want to be sure that we get through to people what are the things on which our very existence as a fellowship as a body hang what is it that we want to be sure that we are communicating and more than communicating but teaching and helping people to learn and to, to, and, and to drink deeply about. So I've picked out some things that uh, I want to mention to you about that. The first one is this, that through the New Testament church, God revealed the message and the model for all ages. Through the New Testament church, the apostles, those who were inspired, through the new testament church god revealed the message and the model for all ages now let's read some verses about that first of all so we're going to look at some scriptures and the first of those is Matthew 28:18 through 20 Matthew 28:18 through 20 then Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always at the very end of the age. In this very familiar passage, which we call the Great Commission, Jesus sends forth his apostles, and he uses some very interesting expressions. Go and make disciples. That means make learners. Go out and teach people. Make learners of people. And after they've learned enough, then you baptize them. And after you baptize them, what do you do? Then you teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus said, what, I am, what I've taught you while I'm on earth, and that includes what he would send the Holy Spirit to inspire them to know, You need to take that and spread it to the whole world. So if we're going to follow that command, we need to take those things that were the essence of the message the apostles preached and spread it to the whole world. That means that the New Testament church revealed the message. And as they followed that message, they were the model. And that's what we're to follow. Well, let's look at another passage. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2. Verse 24, John, near the end of his life, is writing uh, to the brethren. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 24, this would be things that he wrote maybe 50 or 60 years after the church began. And he says, See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it, what you've heard from the beginning, does, you also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. What are we supposed to be preaching? What what has been heard from the beginning? What was that? What the apostles taught and what the early church practiced. And we need to be continuing to, to preach that. That's the model and the message for all ages. Let's look at uh, one more passage. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Second Timothy 4, 1 to 4. Paul, writing to, to Timothy, says, this is, this is what Paul said near the end of his life. What people say near the end of their life is usually something that they consider to be very important. And notice how important he says this is. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, you can't say in any stronger way, let me underline this, okay? I give you this charge, preach. The word. That's the same thing Jesus said, isn't it? Go out and make disciples and then teach them all I've said. What you heard from the beginning, go out and preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead of suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, he says people are not going to stay with the word. They're going to depart from the word. They're going to leave what they heard from the beginning. Now, that should come as no surprise to us because if you think a little bit about the, the whole story of the Bible. The whole story of the Bible is of God telling people what to do and they're not staying with it. Isn't that, can't you see that? Adam and Eve, here's the word. How long did they stay with it? Well, we don't know exactly, but they didn't stay with it, did they? God takes the Israelites. This is one of the most amazing scenes in the whole Bible. God delivers the children of Israel from Egypt, takes them out, takes Moses up on the Mount Well, before that He he speaks. God speaks to them from Mount Sinai, from the top of Mount Sinai, God Himself utters the Ten Commandments in His own voice to all the people. Imagine that. And they're so scared, they say, Moses. We can't stand this anymore. Go up and get it from him. Be our intermediary. It's just too fearful to hear God say these words to us. So Moses goes up. And God with his own hand inscribes the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. Meanwhile, down back in front of the mountain, Where they've been so scared to hear God utter the Ten Commandments. What did they do? They departed. I mean, with God's voice still ringing in their ears, they make unto themselves a graven image. Didn't take them long to depart, did it? And we could go on and on through the Old Testament, through the time of the Judges. What is the story of the Judges? Here we're going to do it, and then we depart, and we get in trouble, and God sends a judge and brings us back, and then we depart, and it is over and over and over and over again. Through the time of the king, same thing. The story of the Bible is God giving his word and people departing. And Paul says it's going to be the same way with what we heard from the beginning. People are not going to stay with it. Now, that's what the Bible message clearly is, is stay with what was delivered in the beginning. That is the message and the model we are to follow. Now, to depart is always the tendency, as we just said. Now, I want us to ask, what should we learn from this? What, what, what's the message to you and to me out of this? Well, I want you to think of it in a visual. And I'll show, I'm going to describe the visual, then I'm going to show it to you in a minute. But I want you to think of what God said to us, as John described from the beginning, and as Jesus described all things that I've taught you. I want you to think of that as a line on which to walk. And here's the line. And he says, "Walk on the line." Somebody ought to write a song that says, "I'll walk the line." <laughs> Did somebody already do that? Shall we bring him in? To pre- I don't guess we'll bring him here to preach tonight. I wore the wrong color, didn't I? Should have worn black. Uh, okay. Think of a line, and we're going to walk on the line. And what is the message that they walk on the line a little while and then they leave the line? They leave the line. Now, I want to to picture that to you visually. And so here is the picture of that. And if you see that line across the bottom that says Apostles Doctrine, you see that line at the bottom? Can you see that line across the bottom? That's the line we're supposed to walk on. We're supposed to walk on the line. And the early church started out doing that. They walked on the line for a little while. Of course, they had some help. The apostles were around, and they'd get off a little, and they'd call them back, you know, the church in Corinth. and Paul would say, wait wait a minute, get back on the line, get back on the line. But he said the time's coming when people are going to leave the line. And so there at point C on the chart shows people starting to leave the line. They began to change the organization of the church to where there was one elder, and then there was one elder over several churches, and there was one elder over a bunch of churches, and then one elder over the whole thing called the Pope. Uh there were changes in in worship as people began to make the worship a little more formal and to get people to wear special clothing and to go through special ceremonies and eventually to add instruments and all kinds of changes made in the plan from different from the plan given originally in how people are supposed to worship there were changes about baptism first baptizing babies and then doing some things that were not by immersion and changes in those kind of doctrines and another so we could go through a long list of changes that were made one of the most amazing was the selling of indulgences people could purchase a certificate that would give them forgiveness of a sin because of the money they paid for a certificate of indulgence. Well, those changes kept going on, and finally we come to 1517, which we're just picking as a date to represent several times. Not There were other efforts at this, but in 1517 Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg church, mainly protesting the, the teaching of indulgences by the Catholic church. And so he said, these weren't his words, but, but the thought was we need, to, we need to walk back down this line of departure and, and go back to things, go back to nearer the way it was in the beginning. And he was a courageous man and did wonderful things to to do that. I don't think he understood fully to get all the way back to the line, but he certainly led an effort to do that, and that's good. And John Calvin and Zwingli and Huss and others participated in that. And so these lines began to come back nearer the way it was in the beginning, but their followers began to divide and subdivide and, and uh, split over doctrines. And, and that's how various denominations got formed as these various splinters among the Protestants. Why is this called the Protestant Reformation? They were protesting something. What were they protesting? They were protesting the changes that had been made as people left the line. And they got a lot of it right. My judgment is they didn't get all of it right, but they certainly got some of it right. But then about eighteen hundred there began to be a an effort that said, look, this was a good idea, but but it's resulted in splinters and lots of different groups in Christendom and we really and it never got all the way back to the beginning. Let's get all the way back, like John said, to the way it was in the beginning. Let's go back to that. Let's just take a clean slate and start over. And let's just read the Bible and let's see what people did. And let's practice our Christianity and teach in our Christianity just what the early church did. And we call that the restoration movement, making getting things back like they were in the beginning. Is that possible to do? Well, Yes. We have the book, we have the record, uh, we know what they taught, we know what their practices were that were approved by the apostles and what their practices were that were not approved by the apostles. So yes, we, we, we have a good picture of the way it was in the beginning. So we can do that. You know, think back to the passage in Second Timothy, where Paul condemns those who leave the line, if it's wrong to leave the line, what conclusion would you draw? It's right to do what? To go back to the line. Okay? So that's what we're trying to do. That's what we believe in doing is going back to the line and just being the church of the New Testament. Not starting a new church. Not coming up with new doctrines. Just saying, let's let's be the church of the New Testament. How do you do that? We just believe what they believed and practice what they, what they practice. And so the message and the model of the New Testament. Now, here's my point. We need to be teaching this. We, we've we brought up, in my opinion, we've brought up a generation that doesn't know this. We've brought up a generation that doesn't understand this concept. They haven't been taught this. They don't understand what we mean by restoration. They haven't been taught this. It's not that they're opposed to it. They just don't know it. They haven't been taught it. And I think churches all over this country, what's our topic, what churches need to hear? I think our churches, old and young people in the church, need to hear the message. We need to be practicing using the early church as the source of our message and our model. Okay, that's the first thing I think we ought to be teaching, what the church needs to hear. Here's number 2. That the church is one body. The church is one body. Let's read some passages. Turn to Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. Colossians 1:18. In this passage, it's a familiar one to us. Paul talks about the church and says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. The body, the church. Christ is the head, and the church is his body. And so he is one head, and the church is one body. Let's look at another passage, First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses twelve and thirteen. The church in Corinth had been dividing, and they had been they they were splintered a little bit. And Paul calls them to come back together. And here's here's part of the message that he has for doing that chapter 12, first Corinthians verse 12. The body is a unit. Some of the early translations say the body is one, though it is made up of many parts. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. My body's got many parts, not all the same, different functions, but it's one body. And so it is with Christ. The church, all of you, all of us as members, different parts, one body. We're all one body. Well, what do we learn from this? What do we learn from the principle of one body, one head, and one body? Well, we learn that the Lord's church is not a denomination. Denomination means Many parts of one. A denomination of bill is a $1 bill, a $5 bill, a $10 bill, a $20 bill. Those are all different denominations. Those are all different kinds of bills. But the New Testament doesn't teach us that we should have different kinds of Christians, that we should have different bodies within the body. We all ought to be one. The Lord's Church then is not a denomination. It is the one body. And it's made up of all those whom the Lord has saved. In Acts chapter 2, we we read that the Lord added unto them daily those who were being saved. So everybody who is saved, he puts in his body. Now let's look at a, a picture that I think illustrates this for us. hope you can see that okay. Here are two circles, each of which is labeled Saved. Each of these is a picture of the saved. It's two different concepts of saved. The one on the left says that you get into this body of the saved by faith. You just have faith, and then you're an X inside this body. Faith, then you're saved. And then once you're in it, then there are some smaller circles inside the big circle. And you choose whichever one you want to be in if you want to choose one. There's some X's floating out there that are not in one of the small circles. And then there are some X's that are inside some of the small circles. And that's the denominational concept of the church. You're saved by faith and that puts you in the big circle. And then you're saved at that point, whether you join some smaller circle or not. But it's nice to go and join a smaller circle of some kind. And so you join some denomination within the, within the larger circle of the body. But contrast that with the circle on the right. Here's a circle, and one enters that circle by faith and repentance and baptism. We won't go into that tonight, but that's what the early church taught and practiced faith, repentance, and baptism. And that puts you into this circle. And there are no little circles inside the big circle. There should not be divisions within the church. We all ought to be one. So those are two different concepts of the church. And I believe the one on the right is what the New Testament would teach us about. The church is one, one head, one body, and all the saved are in that one circle. That's the concept of church we ought to be teaching. But there's something else we need to understand about that. We need to be working hard for unity in the Lord's church. It's one thing for us to preach to people. The church ought to be, ought to be one. It's another thing for us to practice that the Lord's people ought to be one. We, we need to work harder than we have been working to see that the church is a unified church. We need to be unified. Now, of course, if somebody doesn't stay with the doctrine, we have to deal with that. But so many times divisions within the church are not, not matters of doctrine, they're matters of personality conflict or they're matters of difference of opinion over things that are not that significant when it comes to eternal meanings and we need to be sure that we're doing everything we can to keep the church one, to keep it unified. Now, the two reasons why that's so important. One is because that's how we function best as a body is to have that unity. Then we can work together and we can be one and we can, we can uh, enjoy each other's fellowship and company. And, and we, we are so much more productive if we're one and the other one is we cannot reach out to the world around us if we're not unified. The first gospel meeting I ever held. It was even before I went to Oklahoma Christian, if you can believe I'm that old. You don't believe I'm that old. I mean, you really don't think I'm that old. No, no. Back about 1951, <laughs> I held a gospel meeting in Tennessee. There was a fine young man, 17 years old, came to church, seemed to be a very wonderful young man. And as I was there for a week, we, we used to have week-long meetings, remember that? Uh, as as I was there for this uh, length of time, I found out he never had been baptized. And I went to him one day and I said, well, why, why haven't you been baptized? And he said, well, don't you know? I said, no. He said, this church is split right down the middle over the preacher. The preacher had been going to a woman's house who was unmarried or a widow who had a small child. And uh, he had been going to her house to hold Bible studies by himself. And the community was talking about it because they'd go by there and see his car at this woman's house. And uh, they were criticizing the church, and the church, and he was saying, you don't have one bit of evidence that I've done anything wrong. How dare you dirty-minded people think I've done anything wrong? And so half the church said, well, he hasn't done anything wrong. The other half said, well, he shouldn't be doing that. And they're split right down the middle. I won't go into the right and wrong of all of that, but you, you can imagine where I'd go with that. But this young man says, I don't want to have to take a position on that. I'm not going to become a Christian. Well, that's tragic. That is tragic. And if we want to reach out to the world around us, we've got to be a unified church. We've got to, we've got to be a a body that that when people hear about us and come in to visit us, they see a warm, loving, tender fellowship. They see people who love each other and care for each other. And who who are not who are not split up over Things that don't don't matter. So we've got to work, and that may mean I'll have to give in on what color we paint the, the wall in the classroom, you know, or whatever else. Sometimes people get upset over, and I just have to say, look, don't, I, I'm not going to let that cause a rift in this church. And so we're we're going to have to learn to do a better job of living as one body. And we need to teach that. So we need to work hard for that. The early church had some division, but Paul taught them to be one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, let there be no divisions among you. And we need to learn to follow that teaching and present ourselves to the world as one. Now here comes the uh, third item. Well, let's have one more verse. Ephesians 4, 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now here's the third one, that we need the evangelistic spirit of the early church. We need the evangelistic spirit of the early church. Well, we know a lot about that. I won't dwell on it long in Acts chapter 2, Peter speaks to several thousand on Pentecost and convinces 3,000 of them to become Christians on one day. They were evangelizing. Paul's missionary journeys occupy the, most of the last half of the book of Acts. And he goes all over the world. In fact, he covers so much territory that in Colossians 1, 6, it says that this gospel all over the world is bearing fruit. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit. The early church was so bent on sharing the faith that people all over the world, whether that was in Jerusalem or Ethiopia or up in Asia Minor or over in Greece or in Italy, all these places of the known world We're hearing the gospel. And these early Christians were carrying it with them everywhere they went. One of the most amazing verses is Acts 8 4 that talks about these Christians who were being persecuted in Jerusalem went everywhere preaching the word. Now, if you had been run out of town because you told somebody you were a Christian and you went to the next town, what would you do? Well, one thing I'm sure you're not going to do is tell somebody I'm a Christian. But that was the attitude of these people. Everywhere they went, they went preaching the word. And there is a, a book by Rodney Stark, which I recommend, called The Rise of Christianity, in which he says about 350 A.D., there were 34 million Christians. 34 million Christians. Half of the Roman Empire, he says, had become Christians by 350 A.D., how did it happen? Well, he says there were two things. One was by the way they lived. They lived a good life. They lived an honorable, noble life. They were honest and fair. They took care of each other. They took care of those who were not Christians. When sickness swept through the land in a plague, the Christians were the first, or the first ones out to help people who were sick. And they were admired. They were persecuted, but they were admired because of the way they lived and shared their faith. Secondly, he says, by the way, they died. They went out into the arena facing the wild animals who were about to eat them, singing hymns to Jesus. And people in the stands said, what kind of religion is this that lets people face death like that? The way they lived and the way they died. If, if, if you can't preach a sermon over that, you can't preach. So what we need then is to be more evangelistic. What do we learn from this? Well, I want to give you two quick things about evangelism. The first is that every church needs a group of people who are dedicated to asking the question, what can we do to make this church evangelistic? You've got, a, you've got an education committee, you've got a missions committee, you've got a, you know, whatever, building committee. You need a group that says, our only job is to ask, how can this church be evangelistic? What kind of events do we need to have? What kind of, uh, what kind of uh, Bible studies do we need to prepare people to teach? What kind of community activities can we do that'll put us in contact with the church what What do we need to do? How do we train people in conversational evangelism? How do we train people in friendship evangelism how do we how do we find out who used to come here and doesn't anymore and so we go out and bring them back You've got a group of people that 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 is so bent on that that they are going to find ways things that this church can do to be more evangelistic. That's gonna be the heart and soul of their work. And they're gonna meet every week and ask what can we do to be evangelistic? Every church needs that. Now, they're gonna make events and how to follow up visitors and restoring people and showing concern and connecting with the community. They're gonna do all of that. Going to make the plan. Not going to do it all. They're going to make the plan. We just started doing a really interesting thing at our church with a coffee cup. We've got coffee cups with the name of the church on it. Memorial Road Church of Christ, okay? And when visitors come, we we have a new way with some uh, sign-in books that we're doing a better job of finding out who the visitors are. We send a book down every aisle, every row, every pew, and ask everybody to sign in, members and non-members. And that way we get a lot more visitors to sign up than if just, say, pick a card out of the pew. Okay. Our, our, number of, of our, our, our number that are visiting, we found out, is a lot greater than we thought it was. And by the time that service is over, people have gone through those books and put coffee cups out here with the name and address of that person in it and some information about the church. And members of the church go by and pick up those coffee cups with the idea we will take it to their house in the next two days. And the interesting thing about a coffee cup, two things is one, if the person's not there, you leave it on the porch and it's okay. Dogs won't eat it up. And the second thing is, have you ever thrown away a coffee cup? You'll leave it in that cabinet for years. Well, somebody's sitting around thinking that stuff up, see? How are we going to follow up on visitors? So this group is planning. How can we do the job of local outreach? And then the second thing is, They find a place in this total plan for every member. Your job may be to deliver the coffee cup. Okay. Your job may be to to bring a friend to church. Your job may be to write cards and letters to people. Uh, All kinds of ways. There is a place for every member of the church in the local evangelistic outreach. There's a way that, that, four year, that fourth graders can be a part of it. I won't tell you the whole story, but I heard a while back about a, a guy whose, four, who, whose friend in the fourth grade asked him to come to the Church of Christ, and he didn't come. Forty years later, when he got real sick, he said, I think it's time I went to church somewhere. Where am I going to go? To the place where my fourth grade friend asked me to go. So this group makes the plan that can involve every member. Some of them are door knocking, but not everybody wants to door knock, but there's some place that you can fit in. And so in all of that, they are finding ways to make a plan and to get everybody involved in carrying it out. So these three things. I believe, or what the church most needs to hear, that through the New Testament church, God revealed the message and the model for all ages. Number two, that the church is one body. We teach that and we practice that. And the third thing is that we need the evangelistic outreach and the evangelistic fervor, the evangelistic spirit
0: of the early church.